Would you please rise in body or in spirit from a reading from the Gospel of John in the 15th chapter. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church today. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commandments so that you may love one another. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated. So this Sunday and for the next four weeks, we're taking a break from the lectionary to explore joy. Not that the lectionary does not bring us joy, but we are going to explore the topic of joy. For Christians, joy has theological significance and spiritual power. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians that joy is one of the fruits or the gifts of the Holy Spirit just after love. In fact, Paul talks about joy more than anyone else in the Bible, just after Isaiah and the psalmists. The psalmists are the Bible's poets and songwriters. They sing of joy to help lift our hearts and to give us language to talk about God. Isaiah was the prophet who walked with God's people of Israel from a time of prosperity through unimaginable suffering, stuck with them in the long season of despair and hopelessness, and then back to a time with hope. And all of that while, he was speaking, praying, preaching about joy. The Apostle Paul was a follower of Jesus who helped lead the very first Christian churches in the time soon after Jesus departed. It was a time of political turmoil, religious uncertainty. It was a time of great change in the world, a time when the small Christian church was struggling. And so Paul talked to them of joy. Considering how important joy was to the people in the Bible in times of uncertainty and suffering, division and oppression, it seems like a great time to explore joy here at Christ Lutheran Church and how joy can become a greater part of our lives as well. 
You know, I started thinking about joy a little differently about 10 years ago. Because the joy, the joy that I'm talking about today is different from the feeling of happiness that we often associate with joy. You can still have joy when you are sad or when you are hurt or angry or confused. Or you can still have joy when you're uncertain about the future. Because we all experience those feelings, but they can exist without taking joy from us. I'd like to invite you to take a moment right now to think of someone that you know who just embodies joy. Who, who, who is the most joyful person that you've ever met? Can you think of that person? Right away from me, uh, it's my, my grandmother and her sister, Aunt Betty. Those women were forever joyful. They sang and they hummed. They gave the very best hugs. They were always incredibly excited to see us. And, and when they talked, it sounded like music. They embodied joy. But I also, I can remember seeing them experience overwhelming sadness. When my grandmother was dying from ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, she could no longer sing or talk, or eat, or hug. I knew her sadness, I knew it well. And she was sad to see us sad. But somehow, her joy, it was still there. In fact, somehow it seemed to grow. Even when she could no longer form a single word, joy just sparkled in her eyes. Her sister, my Aunt Betty, lost her best friend when my grandmother died. And then she lost her mother and her three brothers. And while those deaths were natural, after long lives, it caused Aunt Betty pain to lose her loved ones. And the last time I saw Aunt Betty, she took a baby Lydia Grace on her lap, and she beamed with joy as she sang Amazing Grace to her. Those feelings of grief that she had, the, the feelings of, of, of about the mystery of what came next for her, they were still there, but they were totally embraced by her joy. It was clear that something of God was at work there. Something of God gave these women almost a superpower of joy. They didn't have to deny or to bury any of their other feelings in order to be carried still by a joy that, that overflowed to others. It's that joy that the president of my seminary, Dr. Steve Hayner, got me thinking about 10 years ago. I noticed pretty soon after I became a student that he signed every single email, joyfully, Steve. And at first, I, I didn't think anything of it. I signed my emails, a grace and peace, Drew. But then one day, he sent the seminary community an email informing us of the death of his father. He signed that email, as usual, joyfully, Steve. I thought, here is time, Steve. Well, perhaps you could be forgiven to not be so joyful. But somehow his sadness did not replace his joy. 
Steve was blessed with the knowledge that, that this joy was, that he had was not of his own creation. He was not sustained by his own will to feel joyful. God, this joy was actually a gift from God. It was something that was placed in his heart. I, I, as a, has anybody watched the Netflix show about cleaning? Tidying up, I think it is. And you, you, it's a, we, we went on a, we cleaned our house after. But there's a question that she asks after every, I shall take an item and say, does this bring me joy? And if it doesn't, simple, get rid of it. It's a helpful concept for cleaning. But it's different here because this was a decision she was making about this thing, does this thing bring me joy? Do these pants I can't fit in any longer bring me joy? No. But we're not asking that question of God. The answer is always yes, God is the one who brings joy. And that can't be something that we set aside. So Steve noticed that this was a gift in his heart that was placed there. And while this gift was, why this was a gift, this, this joy wasn't something he created, it was a gift, he, he did receive it intentionally, mindfully, and then he nurtured it. And then he fed it throughout his life. So when these hard times came, his joy was strong. It, it actually supported him. So if joy, it's not happiness, and joy is not something that we can just will ourselves to feel, what is joy? Where does it come from? A few years ago, Yale University became, began a project called uh, The Theology of Joy and the Good Life, with the stated understanding that joy is fundamental to human existence and well-being. Catherine, you mentioned that word in our Sunday school. Yet it's an elusive phenomenon that resists definition. These researchers noted that for thousands of years, the articulation and cultivation of joy was at the center of Jewish and Christian scripture, theology, and practices. They also noted that the conversation about joy, these conversations have pretty much disappeared from modern theological reflection. I, I, but apparently not from tidying up. They are ignored from the social sciences, and they are increasingly absent from our lived experiences, which is to say that people are perhaps experiencing less joy today. Now, I think that's actually very likely accurate, considering the dramatic rise of the medical diagnosis of anxiety in our culture. Some have suggested that we are living in an age of anxiety, and are experiencing an epidemic of anxiety that crosses every possible demographic. Yale's researchers theorize that our modern culture's neglect of the idea of joy has led to what they call a graying of human life and communities, and a sharp bloom of individual and communal dysfunction. They're saying that something in our world is broken, and perhaps it's that we're forgetting joy. Now, Christians, we're very clear that, yes, something in our world is broken, and we call that something sin. But we also know that God's power of grace overcomes sin. 
knowing that God is in the business of healing our brokenness as individuals and as a community means that we should be receiving that precious gift of God's Holy Spirit that the Bible calls joy. The word joy appears in the Bible nearly 200 times in a variety of forms, from feelings of of happiness and merriment and celebration to what we might call, along with the ancient Jewish philosopher Philo, a true joy, which characterizes the sphere of God and comes from God as, he says, the supreme divine blessing. Joy, the supreme divine blessing. Philo's view is in keeping with that of the biblical view of enjoyment, that while ever fleeting, it is yet the highest human good. The Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, which famously tells us for everything there is a season, there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. It also tells us that in a life where uncertainty about the future is guaranteed, where the randomness of life's violence and disease could drive one mad. Enjoyment is God's gift to human beings. The Old Testament scholar Bill Brown says, according to Ecclesiastes, enjoyment has a mysteriously incidental quality to it, for it lies outside the human domain of achievement and design. Thus, when it comes to Thus when and to whom the refreshing breezes of enjoyment blow, no human being can determine. All the more reason to enjoy. But its divine origin and unbidden nature, enjoyment is an occasion of wonder for those who partake. Joy simply descends upon us from God. But no longer is joy's presence incidental just for a few. For Jesus brought joy to the world, the whole world. And then he prayed that the whole world may know this joy fully and completely. That's what we heard in the gospel from John. His prayer for us, Jesus Christ's prayer. When Jesus says, what do you want to pray for today? I want to pray that they may feel joy completely. That's his prayer for us. What is certain, whether we can allow, this is the question for us, whether we can allow ourselves to take hold, as Steve did, to receive that joy and enjoy its fruits, that is less certain. That part's on us. How do we receive this joy? What is certain is that that we are not left to produce joy or make ourselves feel joy, nor are we permitted to diminish others' joy. For joy is completely from God, and nothing has the power to rob us of what God has desired to give us. Joy is different from pleasure, or happiness, or security, or success. All of those things come and go in life. But true joy, which comes from God, is as steadfast and as sure as the very love of God. Theologian and literary scholar C.S. Lewis once wrote to a friend that real joy seems to me almost as unlike security or prosperity as it is unlike agony. It jumps under one's ribs. 
and tickles down one's back and makes one forget meals and keeps one delightedly sleepless at nights. It shocks one awake where the other puts to sleep. He said, one second of joy is worth 12 hours of pleasure. So what we are paying attention to in this sermon series is that true joy, which when we realize has gotten under our skin and and tickles down our back, also has the power to support us when the winds of life turn. And in the words of Simon and Garfunkel, when darkness comes and pain is all around, joy can be for us like that bridge over troubled water. Dr. Steve Hayner got me thinking about this form of joy with his emails, and then I witnessed it and its power in his life. Just a few years after his father died, Steve was diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer, which killed him in less than a year. Throughout Steve's brave battle with cancer, he wrote to us, students and alumni, about what he was experiencing and how it was affecting his family and himself personally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. After after he died, his writings were published by his wife, Cheryl, in a book called Joy in the Journey. And I want to end today with what was written to my seminary community by the interim president the day that Steve died on January 31st, 2015. He wrote, on Wednesday, two days before Steve died, when the Columbia Seminary community gathered to worship and pray for Steve and his family, Steve continued to love the students, faculty, and staff as he texted to say, on what will probably be my last day on this earth, I want to send you all at the seminary my deepest love, gratitude, and joy. Joyfully, Steve. That joy which comes from God can carry us through and in so doing tell the world something about the condition of our hearts and bear witness to the gift of faith in a God who having loved us in this world, loved us through the end. There is power in this kind of true joy, and it's that power of joy which we will turn to next week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.